This is Michael Coe from the Punk Rock and Politics Podcast, and you're listening to some of the best podcasts available on the internet, only on the No Phony Podcast Network. to Heroes Garage. This is a weekly podcast where we pick a superhero fantasy, science fiction, and fiction, and sometimes horror show or movie, and we talk it into the ground. No, we, <laughs> we <laughs> review it, right, Bill? Wow, this is the truthful episode. Yeah, this is the episode when it all comes out. We're a little slap happy because the highlight of our viewing experience happened over the weekend where we get to see all of those shows that got honored. Yes. And it's kind of the Super Bowl for movie and show geeks. It is, isn't it? It is. And this year was interesting because last weekend literally was the big game. And uh-huh. then the very next weekend, we get the Oscars. I thought that was yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's a it's a back to back what we call. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's like back in the day, and I think this game is only known up in northern and rural reaches, but there the game happens in bars all over northern Minnesota. It's called pull tabs. Right. So, do you know how pull tabs work, Bill? <laughs> Explain to the audience, Tom. Oh, I was hoping that you would know. No, but <laughs> <laughs> basically, you pretty much have to be in a bar to do this, um, and it doesn't cost a lot of money to play. It's basically, it's basically, it's a gambling game, right? So you you buy right. a, a little a sheet or a square. Yeah, a sheet or a square, and then they call out a number or some other identifier and. You win ten bucks or fifty bucks or a hundred bucks. It just depends on you know how rare the occurrence is that gets pulled. And people can sometimes draw you know drive around from bar to bar, literally playing pull tabs all over the city. And yeah. what you're hoping for is, in the connection to your statement, a back-to-back winner, right? <laughs> if you've spent two hundred dollars on pull tabs that night trying to make it rich. You're going to have to win a couple of those 50 and $100 ones just to break even. Yeah, that's a lot of money. So, which I'm not sure that's how the directors, writers, and all the creative teams on these movies feel that they develop and create all these movies and then they have to kind of win big to make it all worthwhile. Right. Um, I do, I do think that they're in it for the love of the medium for the most part and attention. 
Oh, wait a minute, that's me. <laughs> the art of it. Um, I don't, I, I want to think that, uh, when they're making their art or acting, that they're not saying, okay, this is for the Oscar. So. Yeah. If they're like me, it doesn't go well when I try to do things for that reason. <laughs> and I have. Right, right. I think it's it's a lot has to do is doing your best. Yeah. I, I believe it. Yeah. I think that's probably when I'm at my best, when I'm just focusing on those things that I need to focus on to literally do my best in the moment, which brings me back to the podcast. We're going to do our best to yep. cover some of the big winners and losers from this weekend's Oscars not, um, show. And right. After that, we're going to review The Expanse Season 4, Episode 9 and 10, which is going to land the ship for that series. Right. So, exciting times. Exciting times. So, I have no outline for how we're going to talk about the Oscars, which to me makes it the best. Okay. Shooting from the hip. We're shooting from the hip. And we're going to see if we can string together a set of thoughts as cohesively and as trackable as Joaquin Phoenix's. I was, I had to go right to that. I'm shocked at how many different rabbit holes he went into, but oh my God. how he was able to track it all. I'm like, how is he doing? How is he pulling this off? <laughs> Could it be because it was well scripted, Tom? It's possible. There may have been a writer involved in this. <laughs> uh, but I was so proud and happy for Joaquin. I know I'm talking about him like I'm his parent. Yeah. Uh, but he's a tortured soul. He plays yeah, the role yes. of the tortured soul, right? Yep. Yep. And. Yep. I thought the, so how they do it, and I, I realized this for the first time. I think I've watched the Oscar. I'm dominating. Bill, I'm talking too much tonight. Oh, no. Can't. Keep, keep going. That's a forecast. Okay. So, the, <laughs> so the, <laughs> the way they do this, and I've, I've figured this out for the first time. So this is, I hope this is, I'm glad this isn't a, an IQ test or a legitimate IQ test, but the actress who wins the nom- the award for the leading role from the previous year announces the nominations for the actor in the leading role for that year. Yes. Right? So that was that happened last night or whenever it happened. And the individual that announced the nominations for actor in a leading role was so kind but honest. It was like heartbreaking and it was something to the effect of these are all such wonderful yeah. nominations. Yeah. Unfortunately, only one is going to be given the win. And I was like, oh, man, that's sad. If yeah. Joaquin Phoenix doesn't win this, I am going to break down and have I'm going to have a mental breakdown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's. um. Yeah, it's very interesting uh, just to see just the breadth of um, actors that were all nominated. And um, it's very difficult because 
uh, a lot of them had great, great acting roles. And, um, but when you can compare to him at a, a walking Phoenix level of what he accomplished, um, he definitely does stand ahead above the rest. Um, yeah. And I think that you, you know, ever since you and I even seen the trailer of the Joker, we knew we had a good one on our hands here. Yeah. And, uh, he's a great actor to begin with. Um, mysterious, strange, as, uh, Ricky Gervais says, you actors all live in a bubble. And Joaquin Phoenix definitely, uh, proved that in his accepted speech. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm awfully reminded he, it's funny, I, I like the way that he kind of reminds the Hollywood class that this isn't real, you're living in a fake world, and your life isn't what the rest of us, and they kind of look at him like a dog would twist its head and go, what are you talking about? Yeah. Of course I live in the real world. Or, so, or, or they look at him and say, says the man who's holding the golden statue. <laughs> So I, I don't know. I mean, as much as I like um, Joaquin Phoenix, um, there's just a real weirdness that's just there that always reminds me that they are actors. They are mm-hmm. a strange lot in the, of themselves. Mm-hmm. And although a lot of people just worship them, when you see accepted speeches like that, you realize you shouldn't. Well, either that or you kind of connect to some of the biology that's going on during an acceptance speech. For some people, when the emotions take over, the amygdala and limbic system is in full force. There's less language, less thinking. And I thought, well, that actually, that theory doesn't work quite as well, potentially, because he was able to track together a lot of different thoughts and topics that I didn't think were responsible. No, it, it's funny. It, <laughs> How did you do that? It, it almost becomes a performance out of itself, really. Oh, that's hard. That's hard, though, isn't it? Like, uh-huh. if you if you listen to a pastor, you kind of see it through the lens while well, he has to do that. He's the pastor of his congregation. If you listen to a therapist talk, oh, he has to be even keel. He's a therapist. And then you listen to an actor talk, and you're like, oh, he's just acting. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny is, is sometimes, you know, when these guys are giving their acceptance speeches or they're standing up, uh, is this, you want to think this is really who they are. Mm. And um, because we, we all have a perception because of the movies of who we think these actors are. And, um, and, but Joaquin Phoenix just kind of put himself into those worlds of definitely being unique. I mean, going all the way from signs and gladiator, right? Just to name a couple of that he was in that are very successful mm-hmm. movies, um, to something like the Joker. Uh, he has transcended in his acting ability but for some reason, you feel like he probably was actually restrained uh, from really what he could do because the roles weren't really there for him. Hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, it was nice to see him win. Um, yeah. 
I was um I can't say I was shocked because each present like each ceremony starts to develop a rhythm and you start to figure out as the awards are being handed out kind of how this could go and most likely will go. Yeah. Yeah, how it's gonna unfold. And you saw so surprises. I was surprised Ford versus Ferrari I didn't realize that film was so well made because it did get some Oscars. Yeah. Um, were you surprised by anything in the award show? Any? Um, I, I think the biggest one was for me was I wasn't expecting Parasite to sweep as it did. I did choose 1917, um, but uh, it's obvious that the Academy was definitely touched by the film. And just decided to check those boxes for best picture and actor. So it kind of went up against the Golden Globes where, you know, the, that usually, usually follows the pattern. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I picked 1917 and it didn't win. And I was a little surprised by that. Um, but I think it's interesting when you see this year and the amount of actors, the amount of great movies that were out um it was a year that wasn't starving for a winner um you could have gone so many different ways and and which makes it great um what now what did surprise me out of all this is that how this was the worst viewership out of all the oscars ever shown on tv before Mm. it was down six million six million people from last year let's That's try to crazy. figure out like what would be the what would be the um the metrics of that huge change um and I, let's not I do that really that could be boring what is your theory theory yeah, is that it doesn't have a host um oh, it's it useless and there's not somebody that is interesting that has a following that people want to see them quote perform and um i mean it does make the show move a lot faster by not having a horse a uh, horse uh a host because they're not doing their bits they're not mm-hmm. you know kind of carrying the thread instead you have the presenters doing wacky things and singing and wearing goofy dresses and you know all that yeah. type of stuff but um it's not like you're going to go see somebody and uh you know, you had a variety of films too. Uh, it just shows that, unfortunately, the public also is disconnected from, um, I would say, uh, more artistic films, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, pop, more popular f- films never seem to really get the awards, but that's not what the Oscars are for. It's not the popularity award. That's the people's award. Is the popularity award. Um, this is supposed to be the best in its class, and it's not necessarily true in regards of year after year with the Oscars. So there's a lot of politics involved. Yeah. So I, I would say, yeah. Deal. If you run, let's say you're looking at a regression line in your, you've plotted all your data points and you you run a line through the middle of it. I would say that, on the whole, that the honoring of these shows and all the creative teams involved in them 
is a representation of a much higher quality than your average show, um, despite the politics. And I would be sick to my stomach if a movie like Endgame or um, (laughs) wins. I mean, not just because I didn't like that story, but (laughs) that doesn't deserve an Oscar, folks. No, Um, No. It's not that well made. Right. It just isn't. And no. probably lose all of our five listeners here with this rant, but <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's that. Um, I think another, I think the hosts, so the show kicks off and I'm not sure if I, if I were to look at the data now that I'm on this data kick here, if I were to look at the viewership at the beginning and see if it ebbed and significantly dipped or not, um, but I think the lack of a host is an important observation. I do think the way they started it, I don't think a couple of guys getting up there and saying all these blunt um, shock value statements is really all that funny or entertaining or unique on any level. Right. And I don't tune into the Oscars to see that. Right. Um, and I think there's probably a certain level of, um, I don't even know what the word showmanship or just kind of um, professionalism right? that is anticipated and respected at the same time. Um, I know that sounds a little, you know, you know, rough, rough, get off my lawn. Um, I don't know that I'm wrong, though. I think that people don't tune in to hear what was said in that. Um, I won't right. repeat it. Um, right. Yeah. You know, I, I think so. And it's, it's just <clears throat> also, I think that it just, I mean, the Oscar Hollywood, in a, in a lot of ways, it's definitely self-focused, self-congratulatory, self-serving. Um, there might be a, a loss of luster there, of mm-hmm. you know, the Internet <clears throat> kind of exposes a lot more to Hollywood than it has, ever has. I mean, there's been a lot this past year, a lot of sleaze in the Hollywood and, you know, you talk about a lot of, you know, the, the pound, you know, movement, um, you know, the women movement and the, um, you know, then a lot of things coming out with children being abused and, you know, it's really has kind of lost that luster and it's, you know, Ricky Gervais has a way of, he's kind of stuck his finger in it and people believe him because there's a lot of truth with it. And even Brad Pitt recently came out and talked about a lot of pedophiles are in Hollywood. So, I mean, Brad Pitt came out and said that. Uh, so it, it's very interesting. Um, there's a lot of behind the curtain that is being revealed about Hollywood that has been really closed for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. And you hit on something that, closed. yeah, you hit on something as I talk over you that I think is really interesting. Like as much table standing and chest pounding they do about the rights of women and other uh, marginalized communities and how much they point out the power differential of the dominant group, which is still the white male, yeah. that it's ironic just complete hypocrisy that 90% of these awards go to men and 90 or 89% of them are white men. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So here you are 
giving all these speeches and talking about how things need to change and you are, are not changing. Like yeah, the, exactly. Right? Like you have the first female conductor in 90 some odd years. You didn't have a female that could have conducted that orchestra like 50, 60, 70 years ago. Right. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Like it's just, it just screens um, just systemic patriarchy and, I think the hypocrisy in that is something that people are kind of grown tired of. But I can't say that we've grown tired and fed up and we're woke and lit in a way right now because I think things go in waves and um, what feels awakened now could actually be not all that woke when, you know, true self-awareness settles in. And that sounded really highfalutin and judgmental, didn't it, Bill? It was because there's a, you know, for us, um, we like the entertainment value of a good movie, a great performance, a, you know, great editing, great special effects. Uh, I mean, there is a, there's a portion, you know, I mean, I was a film major and, and, and I, and when I went to school, I actually changed a lot of my opinion about film because I've been getting educated in areas of film that I didn't even know existed because it wasn't mainstream. And you learn to see how film was art and what exactly um, some of these foreign, mainly foreign filmmakers created art out of and they, how they looked at film and, and then how it influenced American films and then how American films influenced foreign. And so you have this living organism of film as an, an art piece, but also as an entertainment piece, which um, that's where your money comes from because that's what people want to be entertained. So you have this kind of friction from the masses versus um, the, the storytellers and the artists. And, um, you know, I, I think you and I fall in between all of that. We, we like to go to the movies and be entertained. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like, we like seeing kind of an artistic type movie and performances and like the Joker and, and, you know, all the other movies that were nominated. Um, so, but it's, it's sometimes, you know, when it gets to these award ceremonies, it just gets kind of trippy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's interesting. This is one of the years where I saw a lot of the films that were nominated and won awards. I pretty much, I didn't see Bombshell, and I have yet to see Parasite. That's a, both right. a confession and an acknowledgement. Um, <laughs> I definitely want to see Parasite after seeing all the awards, and, and that's a movie that I want to see. I've um, seen a couple of movies of his already. One of my favorite horror movies, if anybody... <laughs> It's a chance to see his horror movie called The Host. It's a yeah. Great horror movie. I've seen it a couple times already. And every time I see it, I just loved it. Um, he did Snowpiercer, which is a great fantasy science fiction movie with Chris Evans in it. Mm. Um, so there's two I know I've seen. I, I, it's funny. I wanted to see the Netflix one. Uh, um is it Okija? You know. Yeah. Um, Is that yeah. him? Ja, Okja, yeah. Oh, I love he that film. One, 
I wanted yeah. to see that. I haven't got a chance to see it, but it's on Netflix, and I'll, I'm going to probably jump on that one one of these days real soon. And so he's a very great. He's he's an excellent excellent um, director, yeah. and uh, it's just it's great just to have directors like this who are around that really look at the art of it. Um, I know there's another movie called Mother that's supposed to be really good. Um, one of his better ones is Memoirs of a Murder. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, South Korean has some great, great, um, act, you know, writer, director, and so is China. Um, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big Chinese, um, movie fan. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's great seeing international films, uh, especially Asia, uh, coming in. Um, yeah. My favorite director is one of the best directors of all time is Japanese Akira Kurosawa. And, um, he was recognized quite a bit through, um, when he was alive. So it's interesting that we get another unique, um, mm-hmm. Asian, uh, director. Yeah. And if we're critiquing acceptance speeches, and I think if we, people were to follow and track the pattern of our behavior today, I would say that his, acknowledgement and gratitude shown towards Scorsese was a nice model for all of us, right? Like yeah. we didn't learn all of the, our brilliance on our own and we do all have brilliance, including you and I, Bill. Wow. Um, but he uh, pointed towards Martin Scorsese and, and talked about what he learned from him in film school, which I thought was a nice honor. Yeah. No kidding. Because Scorsese's really lifted up as one of the film masters and, I guess the most shocking thing of all of it would be that the Irishman walked away with zero awards. Mm. Yeah. He was not again. My initial, okay, Tom's opinion, this doesn't make sense for me to belabor this, so I'm going to make this point quick. When I watched that show, I did feel like it was Scorsese doing what Scorsese does, which is a really well-made film. Yeah. Um, I do think the second half of it, and it was a three and a half hour, so it was almost like an entire, entirely separate movie as far as length is concerned. It was very much connected to the first half of the movie, so I'm just commenting on the length of the movie when I say that. But the second half of the movie was different. It seemed to be through the eyes of this hitman, and that felt a little different than most of his, you know, Godfather and Goodfellows and all that. But it does feel like he scorsese it, and maybe that maybe that hurt him a little bit. Yeah, I think what's interesting with Scorsese is that um, he is appreciated. He is extremely talented. Um, he does kind of have a look and feel. Uh, De Niro, you know, is uh, he seems to always play the same roles as well. So even though he could be a great actor, he could really be the Italian version of John Wayne. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I like De Niro, but I'm kind of tired of the bit that he always seems to play. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but uh, again, um, he is a master what he is. And it just goes to show that like what you mentioned with his uh, being, it's, it's Scorsese. It's still excellent. Yeah. And, the bar is really high for what he puts out, even though it could be like what, kind of what you're saying is I, I've seen it before. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Now, as we continue to walk towards the center and towards excellent acceptance speeches, um, I'm going to highlight Zellweger. I thought her acceptance speech was gracious. It was cognizant of other people. Yeah. It was kind of outside of her headspace. Yeah. And she was um, identifying people she was grateful for. She was talking about um, in a real respectful and uh, supportive way the other actresses. And I thought as acceptance speeches go, I thought that was actually an example of I hate to say a couple of clicks outside of the norm because I, I would like to believe that most people are not kind of so caught in their headspace that they come across as kind of from another planet. But Zellweger was not there. She was, I thought her acceptance speech was really nice. Yeah, what's interesting with Renee is that uh, did she kind of disappear for a while as well yeah. as an actress? Yeah. And, uh, you know, she she actually had some great movies under her belt. Uh, I thought, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Cold Mountain mm-hmm. uh, was a very good movie. Um, Chicago, obviously. And then you have Jerry Maguire. There's a lot of mainstream, uh, mainstream type movies that she is, but Renee Zellweger always had that Renee Zellweger type of look and feel. And, um, she kind of, I think she kind of went away for a little bit. And, um, and I believe she won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress, actually. Um, so this is a, her her second Oscar. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember when it was what it was exactly, but um, she she's shown a maturity, I believe, in the way that she's taken on acting mm-hmm. and. Um, it's pleasant to see that you know, she could have easily turned in this Hollywood doll, so to speak. And, um, she really went after her craft and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I like it when they always uh, thank the parents. Um, yeah. To me. Yeah. Uh, that's very, and there was a, a few of them t- that night actually thanked their parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's always like, you know, being a parent, uh, it's very touching because it just shows that support that they give um, early on and then it pays off. Yeah. And um, it's, it's that, to me, becomes the touching part. Yeah. So probably, I don't know if it's possible to declare something the weirdest occurrence of the night, but I will attempt to do this. <laughs> um, I thought the random... Just one, Tom, just one? Well, yeah, I've been a little goofy and off the rocker tonight, so I'll continue the trend. Um, Eminem's appearance was wow. The optics, yeah, the optics of it was shocking. Um, he looked different, and it was different that he sang a twelve-year-old song, a song that's been around for over a decade. Well, let me come in quick. It was funny. The Oscar that Renee Zellweger won the Oscar for was the movie I quoted, "A Cold Mountain." Uh, it's always good to know what you're, what you're, go ahead. It's it's nice when you know it, but it's not always necessary. (laughs) Coming from the man who cannot pronounce names that are written right in front of me. Yeah, if you ever seen her in Cold Mountain, man, she's great at that film. And she won another Oscar, and I can't remember what movie it was that she was in. Oh, wait, it was Cold Mountain, you ding dong. 
She probably won 14 Oscars on Jerry Maguire as well. That won a bunch of awards. Oh my gosh. Continue. So, back to Eminem. Um, <laughs> Billy Ellish, or... Yeah. I don't know if she had a reaction to Eminem's performance, or I think she had a reaction actually to the female um, comedians, which I thought were hilarious. <laughs> it was hysteric. Kristen Wiig, and yes. I thought it was hysterical. I, yeah. I thought that was funny, actually. Yeah. Yeah. The Eminem thing, I was like, this is strange. Why are they bringing a song 12 years old? Did I, did I miss something here? I know, and he looked like a, I don't know, he looked different, and I don't know, they were showing, most of, I noticed a lot of the audience was really grooving and moving to it, Yeah. And some people were looking with astonished awareness, and I couldn't figure out what the, <laughs> what that was about, but I know what I was reacting to, he just looked a lot different. <laughs> he did, yeah, and uh I was... I, I was trying. It didn't really fit. I think that was the kind of the funny yeah, part. Yeah. Um, That's right. Now I did laugh hysterically at um, the two cats coming up. I I <laughs> laughed. I laughed hard. Yeah. I was hysterical. Yeah. Uh, uh, and when they were hitting the microphone, mm. I lost it. Yeah. I, it, it, it to me. It was. It's one of those things that I, I get the joke, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I get the joke, and I, I loved it. And um, and they continue with it. I thought the Diane Keaton and Keanu Reeves was funny. That was awesome. Um, that was hysterical. I think that was. I was so like she played like the typical, like basically a lot of men are like that, right? We forget yes, things. We can't yeah. open envelopes. We can't do stuff. <laughs> Diane Keaton is great because you know she doesn't have. At least she said that she didn't do plastic surgery and all that. But um, oh yeah, but the casting is because they were doing visual effects, and so they kind of came out in their real costumes. So that was the funny part of it. There you go. Um, but yeah, I I thought that was I I liked it. Yeah, you know Billy Ellis's reaction to like what are these old people doing? Um, that was kind of funny. Uh, but the yeah, I think that. The Eminem thing coming out was kind of confusing because I think it was supposed to be um, mm-hmm. he's supposed to do lose yourself or something like that, and I don't know what's going I on. Yeah, I I just kind of chalk that up to being not as woke and aware as I needed to be in the moment and needed to, <laughs> to kind of have my head on the swivel and not be there. Um, right, right. Feel, <laughs> that was like an inside joke with myself. Okay. All right. I think we can wrap this up, right? Yes, we can. I think we've unraveled enough and um, looked at enough that happened and didn't happen in the Oscars the other night. So we're going to transition over to a a much more serious topic, The Expanse. Season four, episodes nine and ten. We are heading into the landing, aren't we, Bill? Wow. We have a lot to talk about tonight here. We're going to have to really keep ourselves like hyper disciplined, I think, to get through this review in less than an hour. Yeah. Um, so I'll ramble through directors and writers. I'm going to have you look that up real quick in case I have it wrong because I didn't research whether that changed. 
Actors Holden is played by Stephen Strait. Alex is played by Cass Anvar. Bobby or Draper is played by Frankie Adams. Naomi is played by Dominique Tipper. Drummer by Kara Gee. Dr. L.V. Okoye is played by Lindy Greenwood. Adolphus Murtry is played by Bern Garman, our favorite actor name in the history of Hollywood. Avasarla yep. is played by Shora Adagosho or something. And Amos is played by Wes Chatham. And I do need to look up Fred Miller's name or Miller because he is actually more in this episode than others. So did you find the list of directors and writers for this? I did. I did. And um, they're consistent with the way that they um, hold uh, hold this is in uh, Breck Eisner, who is the director. He was the director, actually, for the episode um, uh, in the third season as well, and the first and second episodes. So and he was the ninth and tenth director for these episodes. Mm. So... Yeah, and he started actually season one and, and season, or I'm sorry, episode one for season four as well. <laughs> what? He started, it's interesting. Yeah, okay. So what I'm saying is, Breck, the director, okay. for the last few seasons, started the season off okay. with the first two episodes and closed the season off with the last two episodes. There you go. That's what I meant to say. Okay, so um, now that that's been about it, lost so that's as clear as bud. <laughs> well, um, is, I uh, really got something that's a little clearer than mine, which is... <laughs> so Daniel, Abraham, and Ty Frank are the writers for 9 and 10. So there you go. They kept the consistency of putting back-to-back episodes uh, together with the, with the team. So they did do this in pairs, and it does... When you watch it, it feels like a pair. Um, yeah. It does not feel like it's a separate episode on its own. And they is definitely tied together. That was a nice save. Sure. That, that <laughs> whole, all of that reminded me of a soup going bad. <laughs> you, 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 you know it's going bad. You know you have no idea how you're going to correct this. this I mixture know, that's like, in the pot. Steal the car! Steal the car! <laughs> so I will tell you that Miller is played by Thomas Jane. Yes. How's that, Bill, for clarity? I like Miller. I like Miller. Uh, in the first two seasons, he was a he was actually the really leading character of mm-hmm. uh, of the Expanse before Holden. Yes. Uh, and I think that's what what made it so shocking is when they quote killed killed off him, Miller. And, um, I mean, he's been kind of on standby, but then Holden became the protagonist. So I, I enjoy Miller quite a bit. Yes. So once again, um, you can look for specifics and more information in a written review form at www.geekgirlauthority.com. And uh, I pulled some of the information off of there, so I definitely want to give a call out to them a shout out i think is more accurately stated okay so i have put down statements basically a blow for blow of what happens story-wise in this episode okay um we can work our way through that or given the length of this episode already we can kind of veer off of our normal yeah yeah 
kind of summarize it, wrap it up, and then we could talk about little aspects of it that um, okay. are key. Okay. So let's just kind of summary in two, you know, 3.75 sentences in no way grammatically correct or complete sentences. So they're more like fragments. Um, Miller and Holden kind of have a, a buddy moment in the, in the middle of this structure on Illis. Uh, Naomi, Lucia, Alex, and the crew of the Roki are striving to save the Barbara Piccolo, Piccoli. Uh, um, these are two ships that are kind of floating around in space without working fusion reactors. Um, you have a whole narrative that's developing that's involving Amos, Okoye, uh, Murtry, and Holden as they are racing through this structure to try to kind of get their hands on the protomolecule, all for kind of different reasons. Outside of that, you have... I don't think anything happens with Bobby in this episode, actually. No. Mm-mm. No. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, that's kind of what this is about. Um, I don't think I missed anything. There's a little bit that goes on with, on the Edward Israel um, and a character named Sarkis, and some of the tensions are kind of rising on that spaceship. Right. Um, but other than that, this is really two narratives. You have the rescuing of the Barbara Piccoli I can't get that name right. Um, Barbara <laughs> Piccoli. Yeah, and then now you're going to Fast Times at Richmond High there with uh, Piccoli. This feels like a soup that's really not going to be saved. <laughs> I mean, it's all over the floor. It's on the walls. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't even look good. Um, so there's really two main storylines in Episode 9, and I'm sure I missed a lot, but what is your general impression, entertainment value of this episode, and how it drives that story narrative forward? Yeah, so what's interesting is the title of the um, of the episode is called Seculum, which is a very interesting word, and it's defined as a length of time roughly equal to the potential lifetime of a person, or the equivalent of the complete renewal of a human population. Mm-hmm. So you try to then wrap your head around, well, where does seculum fit here? And I think it has to do a lot with the protomolecule and, um, the, you know, the builders that uh, Miller and they are kind of fighting with. So it, it, it's an interesting, it's a, a depth of, okay, um, we have the situation here where Miller can disarm the proto-molecule. He's gained his own existence back. Um, he no longer wants to be tormented and be used as their vessel. And so they're building the scheme of how he can disarm it, but also rid the proto-molecule forever, which, you know, now it, it come, this is the climax, right? It's, we are, we're trying, we're finally seeing the beginning of the end of the proto-molecule. And, uh, you know, you have the the fighting group with Murtry and, you know, his sleaziness of wanting to have the, the world and of his own and it's going to make him a rich man. And, you know, Amos and his girlfriend, you know, and stand off to each other. And there's a lot of drama here, which, which kind of becomes a very stereotypical, you know, we have this greater uh event that we're trying to do and then you have this huge distraction 
of someone who is trying to protect their own self-interest. So I, I guess the, that kind of um, yeah, it was the, the resistance, right? of the hero trying to, to fulfill his duty, his duty. It didn't seem, I mean, as entertaining, I would say, um, if, or thoughtful of, um, you know, most of the episodes, they, they kind of went to the, the, the bag of, um, you know, where's the conflict going to come from? Well, they build building up mercury all this time. So that's where it's going to come to, but the standoff, the standoff kind of, to me, felt kind of tiresome, like definitely done before. Yeah, like at the end of the day, this is our my attempt at depth here, so let's see how this fails. Um, what's the difference between Amos and Murtry? Like, if you really think about it, Amos shoots Chandra in the chest point blank and kills her just to get his way. Yeah. And who's to say that the brain cells connecting the little synapses in his prefrontal cortex are working all that more efficiently than Murtry's are. Like, right. there's really no evidence of that. He's just a Marine, a Jughead. Right. right. So I know he's connected to Holden, and that's why they try and give a little bit of kind of mental respect to that character, but at the end of the day, he shot and killed somebody. Right. Like, so if you start to do math, like, I haven't pulled the napkin out yet in this episode, so you pull out the napkin, you got a pencil, and you start writing down the score... You start to see the math doesn't really add up all that well for the Amos character. Or does it? Did I miss something? Does he have some kind of grander, elevated motivation or narrative that we all need to be keen, keenly aware of? Well, it's interesting because it was really the battle of loyalties, right? She was loyal to Mercury. He's loyal to Holden. And so he feels that uh, his, his loyalty to Holden is all about the right thing and... You know, and hers is loyalty to how Mercury saved her in the past. And so it, it, it really, their connection and whatever they had <clears throat> was just surface and didn't have depth. And, uh, I mean, that's how I kind of read it. Uh, I was surprised he killed her. I thought he maybe would wound her, like, you know, yeah. instead of a kill shot. Uh, so I was, I was a little shocked by that. Making it to yeah. your point, yeah, that has that kind of killer I think what you're describing is just a killer mentality and um which is just disturbing yeah. in him. And that loyalty the loyalty that's not an elevated motivation, like at the end of the day. It's used a lot to create tribalism and kind of us versus them mentality is embedded in this idea of loyalty, but a disconnect to the higher elevated values that support the overall betterment of society if it's by loyalty alone like how many things have been done out of ignorance that have been a claim to loyalty and so it's hard to look at amos's character or chandra's character and couldn't they all just get along but the reason why they can't get along is because we need to see amos get his hand blown off right <laughs> Well, you know, Mercury is that evil character, too. I mean, let's not uh, belittle that fact, because Mercury is um, really, really driven by his greed, uh, his hatred to the Belters. But yes, getting his fingers blown off, I guess, 
you got to have a little give and take here in the gunfight, right? One gets yeah. shot, killed. The other one has to lose a limb or yeah. a digit in this, yeah. in this uh, scenario. Digit removal occurs, and then <clears throat> walk away clean from this. No, you can't. And yeah, I mean, when you have a couple of jugheads facing off against each other, that's what you end up with: some blown appendages and some blood and guts. Uh, no guts, though. Um, <laughs> which I'm not it sure that's. Stay away from the guts here on the show. It's basically blood and digits and you know that type of scenario. So yeah, yeah. the only thing that I would say that I. Story-wise, that felt fresh was that we start to get really zeroing in on through the Miller character, through Miller's character, the proto molecule. Yeah, we'll call it a hole. It's like yeah. a um a Ring. thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was very um, scientificy. How do you like that? <laughs> we're we're we're. Fired on all cylinders, all synapses are working fluidly tonight. Uh, we have a thingy. I was, I was kind of trying to wrap my head around exactly what was happening here. Um, how throwing himself through the ring was going to disarm the protomolecule, set down his defenses, and uh, kind of halt its progress. I, I good idea. Full, didn't really fully grasp every aspect of what he was trying to do. Uh, we weren't really like, given the mechanics of that solution, were we? <laughs> you know, sometimes that's the beauty of science fiction is they're going to some complex explanation of what they're about to do. And guess what? It's really not intended to really be understood because they're mm. just doing something to stop something and they just got to make it sound complex. It's It kind of reminds you of like this is – so, you know, the these old um, – Last time I saw one of these things, it was in the show called Little People. And what it was is they went out into this, I guess these guys that created these big catapults where they kind of launch objects through the air. And the mechanics of that is actually pretty complex. And you have a kind of a weight aspect to it. You need to get the inertia flying enough in one direction to sling the object the other direction. And so there's a special name for those things, which I can't remember. I'm calling it a catapult, but I think it actually has a a different name than that. This is one of those situations where the mechanics of this, just looking at it optically, don't seem to add up. But we're also not given the mechanics of it. Yeah, exactly. So we have no idea how inertia and, and, you know, maybe how all that works. Is there a biological or chemical component here? Or if you dive into it. Did they tell us earlier in the episode when they dove into the purple sinkhole and dropped it deeper into the ship that, you know, things happen when you fly through this hole? I mean, is that is that the, the extent of it? Either way, we have no idea. Right, right. And it kind of it's falls not, into the science fiction MacGuffin or trope category, potentially. Yeah, I think you're actually you're thinking of the trebuchet. Thank you, Bill. That is absolutely it. That word is way too complex for me to grab out of the... <laughs> um, yeah, that's because that's how you get good distance out of it. They're pretty uh, amazing. Yeah. Um, this was not a trebuchet. This was a circle, a <laughs> swirling circle of energy. Yeah, so I, I yeah, I, I really tried. I, I rewound it. I, um, I kind of thought I missed off. Uh, 
I, and you know me, it's like, I, I tend to really kind of grasp it first time going. And, uh, I, I kind of did the second time and I still didn't get it. And, uh, I just kind of threw in the towel. Um, <laughs> I didn't get a text really. message and I'm, I'm guessing it's because of the lack of depth you got the last time you tried to fight him. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I was like, okay, if he's going to throw himself in the wing, I mean, I, I got the fact that he's got to become a real object like that thing that was on the ship and he was some mm-hmm. creature and then they have a battle which was kind of all strange i mean because yeah you can't just throw yourself in the ring and make it look easy um you yeah. know and uh you gotta always have resistance i get it but uh i guess just throwing miller and an object i don't understand it i didn't get it still don't understand it um <laughs> i guess if i read it i probably wouldn't understand it yeah. But it worked. All we know is that it's a thing and it <laughs> happened and it's done. And the results were okay. It, okay, we're good. <laughs> and we'll get to the results as we kind of climb our way through episode 10. Um, but any final thoughts? The episode 9 ends with Okoye attempting to help Miller, and that's the whole ring of energy thing that we're kind of goofing right. around with. And then the episode ends with Holden and Mercury in a, in, you know, a sta- good old fashioned standoff. Right, right. Yeah. And he's Akoye. also launching shuttles into the ship and, you know, he's throwing yeah. everything at it. And yeah. so I don't know. I mean, this, this episode is, you know, I, I, I was, I was I was kind of like a C plus here, honestly. Uh, I haven't rated any episode through this time entire reviews, but this one I, I gotta say it wasn't as uh, strong as episode. It was confusing. Um, I guess everybody was able to get their ship powers back, and it worked. And but it, it seems like it was very anticlimactic. Um, yeah, that's my 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 feel of all this. It's and this is going to be Tom's. I haven't done this in a while, but Tom's reflections, right? <laughs> there comes a point in every show where you have to make a transition, right? And it, you have all this believable mixed with unbelievable things going on in a story. And indubitably, there comes a point when these two worlds need to connect in really believable ways and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't right and science fiction uses various tropes to try and do these leaps over these expanded you know excavated portions of earth and they're hoping that the viewer doesn't fall into the abyss as these transitions occur and in this case we like enough of it and we get enough of there's enough of a runway here right right (laughs) that I think we kind of float on air a little bit because we don't necessarily get enough answers and we don't, you know, we don't get enough of a bridge over that abyss. I, I'm hoping we didn't lose too many viewers in episode nine, um, but it definitely didn't provide a lot of answers. So right. with that right. convoluted, cryptic kind of summary, let's move <laughs> on to episode 10. <laughs> so now 10 obviously starts off where we realize, um, you know, uh, the doctor goes through the ring, which you kind of get alluded to. Okay. Okay. Yeah. She goes through the ring. She sees some weird stuff. Um, 
everything gets deactivated. Uh, you know, Holden, you know, kind of they had their kind of moment. Like, what did you see through the ring? Yeah, that's what I feel like. Da da da. All right, Miller's gone, and back to the ships they go. Really, and um, yeah. so Another, they kind of yeah. wrap up the the proto molecule portion of the story rather quickly and rapper rather kind of haphazardly it, it, it was about as unsatisfying as you could get i thought um yeah i will wrap i will wrap up this in in one fragmented statement say they it. gather they gather the blue goop and they throw it in a little capsule and they shoot it into the sun <laughs> yeah that's it and there goes the protomolecule. So that has basically uh, captured our imagination for the last four seasons. It is just a pile of poop sent to the sun. So there you have it. Yeah. He gone. <laughs> he gone. Okay, yeah. next story. <laughs> oh, it, I guess uh, it, it kind of elevates with the blue goop tossed away. It forces other parts of the story to come forward, uh, one of which is Avasarla losing her re-election bid to Nancy Gao. Right. Um, you have an attempt to pair Bobby with Avasarla, although it feels a little bit late for that because Avasarla is no longer the supreme commander of Earth. Um, you have to clean up some loose ends, right? You have Lucia's storyline as the criminal and She's done a lot of heroic things, and you see too much of her her humanity, and you know that they can't, you know, bring her back to Earth and and criminalize that character. So they find a way to tie a bow onto that and keep her from a prison cell. Right. Um, yeah, you then, can admit they do kind of take care of these characters' loose ends quite a bit. You know, what they I mean? did. They did. They walk through it. What did you think of Ashford? Um, his kind of Celtic song. Celtic like oh, straight for the 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 jugular? the jugular here of the episode, aren't you? You just skip, you just hop, skip, the jump all over to the end, didn't you? I feel like the protobolicule got into my brain cells tonight. <laughs> I have no idea where I'm going next. Well, you know, you got the come on, you got okay, you got the ever solid with Bobby. Bobby, you know, um, her team, you know, gets killed, right? Well, except yeah. for one. Um, she, her, her hunch was right. This is like a bigger thing than, than, than what was happening. And it, it was pretty dramatic, I thought. Um, I love it, that. It, it's it trackable bad, too. Bad, bad and everything about it was really kind of riveting. Um, I thought. I thought so too. I actually, I think that part of the story shines. She, yeah. she knows it doesn't smell right, doesn't look right. Something isn't right. She finds some evidence. She sees that, um, Belton is his name. I think he's killed and he's kind of their informant. And right. he try she uh, prior to that she tries to warn Lily or however you say that name. Right. Um and, and then she arrives on the dock and sees the ambush going down and in true right. right. Bobby fashion she throws herself in the middle of it and and has a significant positive impact on the outcome which in the end is the saving of the um, character. Am I saying that name right? Lily. It's spelled L E E L E E. So that's Lily, right? Well, you know, in science fiction, they make up their name, own name. So it could be Lily. Pretty much Lily. 
So Beltran is, you know, the informant is dead. Yeah. So for the girl, right? Yeah. Um, yep. And uh, Bobby, you know, just does her one man killing machine and goes after her shut and everything and debris is blown about and space stuff is blown apart and it was exciting i liked it uh yeah. because it's she's, bobby and we liked bobby a lot yeah we do she's such a wonderful she character cool. she's also she tall yeah you ever, you ever notice that she is a tall human being or, yeah. or should i say yeah. martian she is um, you see her her height advantage um, rear itself uh, many times throughout this season, where she's standing over people, and so that's random. My one random thought of the episode. Yeah, no, it was cool, and I like that she she reached out to Avisala, and so I was like, yeah, you're late, and um, but man, it sets itself up really really well it really yeah. does how many times yeah, it does. really 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 so i think it it does does because you have avasarlo on the outs with her husband they set yes. that up right and that that frigid detente continues yeah and now you have avasarlo who wants to go visits and i don't know i guess do the noble thing and right. you kind of get the feeling after her loss, she's asked by the by the the group that wins Nancy Gao to meet and talk or whatever. I it they're setting it up for Bobby and Avasarlo to join forces and kind of go on some kind of a scavenger hunt of, of sorts. Yeah, it's uh, to find out exactly where the corruption goes, right? So mm-hmm. that's where this is going to be. And it's what's interesting is Avasarlo's true character without the political position is going to shine mm-hmm. and uh, where we actually see her be concerned uh, even though she isn't the secretary general mm-hmm. so she is she really there's nothing in it for her and as we see in this entire season four it is all about what's in it for me and she does kind of take a twist because you know in season three she and she had a she had a bullseye on her, and she came out mm-hmm. hero, only to come crashing down to earth. So yeah, um, so it, and Bobby, you know, needs some redemption here as well because she's been part of making money in this black market to a definitely scary Belter clan. So yeah. to the end of the show, Tom. Correct. One little skip before the end. Well, no, I'm going to wait till after the end. I'm going to say the ending because I'm going to follow the directions. I'm going to be a good soldier, a good... Please, please, Marcos. Now, what's Mark? What's Ashford doing? He tracks who down? So, Ashford has been on Marco and Neros' trail, right? Right. And the connection here is Naomi has a son with Marcos. Right. Is this correct? And this... Right. Uh, the son's name is Felipe. Right. And he is actually on the ship with Marcos when Ashford and his crew arrive to manage justice in only a, the way a belter can. Right. And uh, surprise, surprise, and it was a surprise to me, actually, uh, Marcos and his group wins. 
And Ashford is executed by being released into space, and that's where you get kind of the Celtic howl of an Ashford as he sings and floats in space and freezes to death and dies. Right, right. So it was really interesting because they, they, uh, he and his crew get in, and it's an old-fashioned gunk fight because we see these space shows as uh, the Wild West a lot of times. And he comes down in a draw, and Philip comes up and points his gun at him and makes him disarm. Now, my feeling in all this is there's just too much talk and not enough shooting. Why didn't Ashford shoot Marcos to begin with? That's always the problem. If somebody else has you cornered, you got to be calculating, I'm not going to win in this. I'm a dead man. What, are they going to keep me as a prisoner? No. Those all those thoughts should be going through your head. It always gets me that when there are two guys shoot pointing the guns at each other, shoot. Really, you're gonna have to shoot. What do yeah. you got to lose? Well, you're, you're already lost. <laughs> let's let's do the do the math here. Let's pull that napkin back out again. And you have two scenarios here, right? And you should have done this cost benefit analysis before you even entered the ship, right? Because right. you're at the end of the day, what is your goal? Your goal isn't necessarily to stay alive, although you would like that. Your goal is to get Marcos, right? Yeah. So you have him, you shoot him. That math right. is already done before you get on the ship. Yeah. So <laughs> it just didn't track. Like. Yeah. It's like that's where it kind of follows every every show, right? Yeah. That uh, see now. And, and I think this is just the final two points for me with, with the show is that what would have been better if they both shot each other and then Philip becomes the new Marcos. Okay. Yeah. Changing of the guard. Changing of the, the old. Guard. Son, the new. Becomes, right. You know what to do, son, while he's dying. And dad, father, you know what to do, son. That's it. Now he becomes the new Marcos. So without that, now you keep Marcos alive. You have Philip, and it kind of, I think, waters down that rebellion a little bit because you have a scenario that, you know, if you're going to put the pedal down on these, you got to put it all the way down. And putting it all the way down is your right. It's the mission, and you, you do it at all costs because you know how dangerous this guy is. Mm-hmm. But um, I did extremely, extremely love the song as he's being spaced. I thought that was spaced. It's like being waitlisted when you're trying to get into a college. <laughs> well, that's what they called it. They call it being spaced. You're oh, being gotcha. Spaced. Yeah. Another thing I missed. <laughs> yeah, and he was being spaced. It was great, and he was recording the conversation. So. You know, he was transmitting the, their conversation to who knows where. Could be back to um, who knows. So maybe the the. I'm gonna yeah. track this for you, Bill. Are you ready? Okay. I'm gonna track this. Now you've probably already done the math on this, but what they set up here and why they need to keep Marcos alive is you think about what is the narrative that Marcos okay. is holding. It is also being held. By the Martians. Right. You have the Belters and the Martian community working together. Right. An attempt to subvert Earth and their authority and power. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. And you see that, you know, with their plan is to send all the missiles and take out Earth's defense system. And um, very interesting. I, I think that it did kind of end on, oh, wait, there's going to be a season five? <laughs> right. Did we ever doubt it, Bill? Uh, I kind of was thinking that something was going to happen more with the protobolicule, actually. Yeah. Uh, um, but I find it from a writing perspective, now they bring this whole subplot to the forefront um, as the main story, uh, which is very interesting because they spent so much time in the protomolecule. I guess they felt like they built beat that to death. And um, now you have really the kind of the, the people story, so to speak, of the three classes of uh, of colonies, the Earth, the Martian, and the Belters, and how everybody hates Earth. And um, so it, it uh, I, I got to say, it, the cliffhanger in and on was, was unexpected, but um, enjoyable. Uh, I felt left down by the protomolecule a little bit. Um, that was anticlimactic, but it, when you have so many strong sub, subplots going on and you're, you fuel one to be the main plot, uh, I think that's exciting and, yeah. uh, makes you want to look forward to season five. So I will say, and this might, this observation might go into the weeds a little bit, I will warn everyone, is that if you think of the protomolecule, that trope and that glump of blue goop, it's hard to get rid of gloop. I mean, goop. Um, if you ever worked in a garage or uh, with oil and goopy stuff, you can wash and wash and wash and wash, and somewhere that goop residuals, you'll find it in your fingernails, you'll find it in the your handprints in your hand, your skin, you'll find it in your clothes. Where am I going with this? It's the idea that to be going away. It's not. No, no. But what they do is they do enough of a optic mark or bookmark for you. Hey, we're putting this to bed for a minute. But anybody who knows anything about this knows that they can pull that trope out of their pocket. And we will all believe it. Why? Because you never truly get rid of goop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Um, Goop never goes away. You're right. It will leave a stain, and I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, there's a stain to be st- had here. And as much as Miller has sacrificed himself and pacified his the gods as long as he could, it may be one of those scenarios where, well, let's just say we're gonna hold that storyline for oh, let's say maybe five, six episodes, and then creeping in on you all. So because. Yeah. The, you're right. The ring is still active. Yeah. And um, the ring is is mysterious, and uh, where you could always be inventive with science fiction because that's science fiction doesn't necessarily have to make sense as long as there's some logic strung to it. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we love it, right? Oh, right. <laughs> so if you have logic and it's string it together, then we're like, wow, this is great science fiction. <laughs> Yeah, we're cooking with oil, my friend. That's right. So, so it's you know what time it is, Bill? It's time to wrap it up. And rate. Wrap it, rate, oh, and then wrap. 
yeah, rate and wrap. Okay, I'm going to give this an eight and a half. I, uh, I'm kind of in line with this one. This, this season I liked a lot. Um, I loved how we got there, even though it was a bit anticlimactic with the main story. They had so many great subplots going on. It kept you interested. Yeah, it wasn't perfect, but still it was, uh, it was captivating. And, um, I can't wait for season five. Yeah. I would say ditto, although my metric is a little different. I have a, a payoff metric, correct, yes, Phil? Payoff. Right. So was there a payoff? Hmm. So the Mount Rushmore of payoffs until further notice is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? Yeah, right. That is the payoff of all payoffs. So does it reach that height? Absolutely not. No, of course not. Um, It doesn't quite have that. But does it reach this level of complexity in these different narratives some elevated and some kind of earthy and grounded yes absolutely is it having me interested in these characters and wanting to know more absolutely yes Uh, will i be tuning in for season five absolutely yes so you have uh, you have payoff so in the on off switch of payoff and no payoff i give this a yes to the payoff there is a payoff here and i want to know more and i want to see more yeah, I think there's, uh, there's a, you know, when you end it with a, that type of cliffhanger, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It has a way of, um, of really asking for viewing a more, uh, because mm-hmm. now you could see that, you know, a full attack is coming and, you know, it's the element of surprise, right? Yeah. Oh. So, and uh, people are going to be surprised um, when somebody starts shooting at the defense systems with a pretty powerful t- technology. And uh, I think season one is going to, or the episode one of season five is going to open up with a bang, Tom. That's, I like that. So um, as we transition to the end of this podcast, I will say that um, this week, Expect an extra episode, Bill. Wow. Yes. This I I recorded a bonus episode in a cloak of secrecy. And what it was, it is my review of 2019, my favorite comic books of 2019. And I divided it into two categories, Bill. One category, I'm sure you're on the edge of your seats as I'm actually uh, right now. Are you good? I like that. We're going to try and keep you on your seat, although I can't promise that we have one category being my favorite, either ongoing series, mini or maxi series. So I lumped it all into one big clump and that's going to be my top five, um, series, mini or maxi or ongoing of 2019. And those people that read comic books, they'll know what that means. An ongoing series is like the flash. It happens every single, every other week on a dime. A mini is usually a six issue series. A maxi is usually a 12 issue. So the second category is going to be my favorite single issue. So it could be, you know, Batman number 80. It's not, of course. Um, I didn't really fall in love with the second half of Batman. 
<laughs> so you can um our listeners can look forward to that and that'll come as a second kind of a separate release later in the week so <laughs> well good times um good times yes yeah, so for now and until next time this has been heroes garage bye now